You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip-and-zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Hunt of Ore podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 117, Emperor's Table Series, Marcus Ewing. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick launches a new ongoing series, The Emperor's Table, a pseudo-ideal event where creators of the Sportsman's Empire are invited to share their go-to shareable wild game meals. First entry on the menu is given to us by Marcus Ewing, host of the Average Conservationist and Michigan Wild Podcast. Conversation revol- revolves around average moments in the field, taking advantage of the outdoors in the winter, and Marcus lays out his rendition of a classic party pleaser and angler's go-to that will for sure go over well. Pull up a seat to the Emperor's Table on this episode of Huntivore. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifled barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue Q line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. 
Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tapacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit tapacue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your queue. Dry-aged steaks used to be a steakhouse-only indulgence. An old-world charcuterie was pricey due to being imported or created at a small batch-specific scale. Thanks to Umai Dry, their synthetic dry-aging bags and casings allow you to create these meat-crafting treats in your own kitchen. Working in tandem with your fridge, the Umai Dry bag material allows moisture and air to pass through, making it possible to dry-age large cuts of steaks or roasts. Paired with their curing and seasoning kits, along with safe and easy-to-follow instructions, salamis and dry sausage are well within your grasp. Use the link in the show notes and sign up for the newsletter to receive 10% off your order. Umai Dry, helping us elevate our wild game from the home kitchen. Well, hey folks, beautiful evening here in Michigan. Uh, again, a strange evening. We're sitting here in the 50s. Now, it was nice to see the sun, but man, I still think I'm ready for the snow. I'm ready to get those temperatures down. We got to get ice on those lakes and channels because, man, I want to get me on some hard water. Uh, like mentioned in the previous episode, it has been really nice for small game, though. It's been easy walking in the woods because you haven't had to worry about deep snow and uh, bunnies digging under the, the brush. You can ab- absolutely look into where they're hiding. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, folks, tonight we're joined with a fellow uh, Sportsman's Empire uh, podcaster. In fact, he's a duo caster. He's so talented. He's got two of them. We got the average conservationist uh, host, which is also the host of the Michigan Wild podcast. Uh, I'm here with Marcus Ewing. Marcus, thank you so much for taking some time out of your week uh, to come chat a little bit. Uh, how's uh, how's your week been outside? Have you gotten a chance to do anything? Well, first off, Nick, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I've I've been a fan of of just everything that you represent, like with Hunnivore. And the, the, you know, the goal to really like educate people out there on, you know, wild game cooking and stuff like that. So, no, I'm, I'm super stoked to be on the podcast, man. And I guess to answer your question, it's been kind of a funny week. I've just I've been like so busy that as nice as it was today, I didn't even get a chance to get outside. Like, I think I like walked to the end of the driveway a few times, <laughs> went out on the front porch, went into the backyard to yell at the dogs. And like and that was about it. Um yeah, unfortunately, no no time to to get outside yet this week. Even though I've got Christmas lights staring me in the face that need to come down outside every time I drive past the house. One of these days, I'll probably wait till it's you know that cold weather, that snow that you're talking about, and then I'll really be forced to get out there and have to do it. Oh man, the whole Christmas light thing. Hey, Marcus, here's here's the tip. Here's how you get Christmas lights off without a lot of hassle: is you never put them up in the first place i i dug my heels in this year i wasn't going up there and i won now that's not to say that next year won't be (laughs) i won't win next year but i won this year 
Well, kudos to you, man, because <laughs> I've I've been I've been fighting that battle for two to three years now. And especially now that our kids are getting a little bit older, mm-hmm. they want to see the lights and, you know, just the grandeur of Christmas and the you know, the holidays and all that stuff. So I I cave. I'm a weak man. I say, <laughs> Okay, I'll do it, honey, like whatever it's gonna take. Um, but it's it's never as bad as I expect it's gonna be. And just the the whole taking it down, I mean it, if I went out there and got to it, like it'd probably take me a half hour. Like it's not, it's not a long thing. Like it's something I'm going to procrastinate for on three months and it's going to take me 30 minutes to do. It's like, well, idiot, why don't you just do it now? Kind of thing. But again, like you said, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, so since, uh, since we did start into this new year, Marcus, what, give us a re- uh, kind of a run through of the highlights of your 2022 I know that's you're looking at a whole 365 in front of you. Um, how did how did your out of state hunts go? If you did any of those, and what was your deer season like this year? Man, this is gonna be a short story. It's gonna be real <laughs> quick. I hope you got some more questions for me. You know, it was uh, it was an interesting year. It was um, I don't like I can't even say it was full of ups and downs. Like it was just full of a lot of. Downs probably isn't even the right word, just a lack of opportunities. And I say that because one, so I started a new job in late October, which is for anyone listening, you're like, why would you start a job in October? Like, (laughs) and not even like early October, like October 25th was my first day on this new job. So, you know, I don't have any vacation time or anything like that. Or no, I did have what vacation time I did have was already earmarked for uh, a trip that my wife and I were taking. So I got out opening weekend of archery season and encountered a still a bachelor group early in the season. Um, I was kind of hunting on this field edge and, you know, one kind of started to work out of this corner of the field. I, I didn't see him come out, but I saw him start to work down. I could just kind of see legs. I mean, October 2nd, I mean, we're still looking at, you know, lots of, lots of coverage, lots of green leaves. So I'm kind of, you know, doing, you know, the doe thing in the stand, trying to get a good look at stuff, you know, cause all I'm seeing is legs and this, you know, what I would say was probably a, you know, a nice two and a half year old, eight point started to work down towards the door. I could see it. And I'm, and I, I don't want to sound like a snob, but I knew I probably wasn't going to shoot that deer. I knew we had a lot, you know, better deer on, on camera, on our property in the area. So I'm like, and it's October 2nd. I'm like, I'm not gonna, you know, send one down range here and, you know, potentially, I mean, this is, you know, still pretty early in the evening too. And I knew that there were still two more deer with it that I could see at least the legs and he started to feed down towards me and he got to almost like this shooting window that I had at about 30 yards. And just before he kind of got into it, he started to kind of work back to where he came from. Just, you know, just feeding naturally and just was like, yeah, this is far I'm going to go. I'm going to work back. And right around the time that he started to really kind of get out of my line of sight, a second buck came out. He was a little bit bigger. He, he may have still been two and a half. He may have been three and a half, but he was definitely a bigger deer you know, bigger rack, bigger body. And he got, he was a step from that window. And I mean, I had bow in hand, like I was that at that point I was like, I may have to let one fly here. And all of a sudden he just, he does what a deer do. Sometimes he just stuck his head up in the air and looked around and something, he didn't like something. And he took off upwind of me, which didn't make a lot of sense. So it's like, I know you didn't, my wind didn't blow at you because you wouldn't have ran in the direction of the wind kind of thing. And he hightailed it out of there. That first buck I saw, he took off. 
the third deer that was down there was bigger than all was bigger than either of the other two. And I just saw the white flag. I saw him disappear out the other end of the field. And that was it. That was my opening weekend. I saw, I think another doe or a spike or something later that evening. And that was it. And then I didn't get out again until mid October and didn't have any luck. Yeah. I didn't, I don't even know if I saw a deer within 50 yards of me that day. Got out again a week later and came full draw on a, uh, uh, God, what was he? He had a 10 point frame, but at that point he was already busted off from the G2 forward on his right side. And I, even though he kind of walked out broadside, his head was like perfectly to where you couldn't see the opposite side, super clear. And he got right to this scrape. I had this scrape that almost looked like a, a damn community scrape and where everyone had been hitting it, especially as you're getting later in October there. And I, like I said, it, what's super cool is sidebars. I have uh, a trail camera. We have a trail camera pointed right at that scrape. You can see me, uh, when we went back and looked at it, you can see me in the stand up behind it at full draw with him just standing there right on the scrape, No, which way. is, it, yeah, like it's, you have to really kind of zoom in behind me. Uh, cause I'm probably 50 yards from the camera, but since it took the picture of the deer at, you know, like 20 yards from where the camera was, um, if that, uh, it's a really good shot of the deer and you can, if you, you know, pinch and zoom in or whatever, you can see me up in the stand there. And once I, I realized that he was broken off, I was like, I don't want to shoot a broken deer. I, again, I don't want to try to sound like a snob, but I was like, it just, it just didn't feel right more mm-hmm. than anything. So I let down and, you know, he just, he worked on through and that was, gosh, I think that was October 17th, maybe. I did not get out again until November 12th and 13th had, and this was, you know, we had a good warm spell there the first part of November, which, you know, it's a lot of people kill a lot of really good deer, even in the warm weather. And I just didn't have a ton of activity. You know, the deer that we're chasing were, you know, real young bucks. And, uh, that was it. That was the last day I hunted this year. October, November 13th was the last day I hunted. So I hunted, I had four days in the field this year just because of timing and work. And it was, it was, it was disappointing, but sometimes that's the way the season goes. You just don't get the opportunities to get out like you would normally, like you normally had. I mean, I think last year I had, you know, close to 20 days in the stand and, you know, same end result, except for I, I was able to take a doe during rifle season, but I didn't even get out with my rifle this year, which is super unfortunate. I had all these plans like, Oh, like over Thanksgiving, I'll get out. And then that didn't happen with family and stuff like that. And then I was going to get it one last hurrah between Christmas and new years. Um, I was off from work and it just nothing, it didn't materialize. And here I sit broken hearted freezer dwindling. Like, I mean, I'm, oh, no. I'm holding on to this like bars of gold because I do not want to like, I'll just, I'll open the freezer out in the garage. And I'm like, ah, there you are. Like, you're still there. Thank goodness. <laughs> I'll cook you at some point. Like I, I want to wait. So yeah, it was, it was, it, I think we, we all have those seasons where you just, you just don't get out. You don't get the opportunities to, to get out, let alone give yourself opportunities while you are in the field and, you know, no out of state hunts. Um, you know, it just, it is what it is. I've, I've come to peace with it. I'm okay with it. So I'm okay with talking about it now. Like there was, there was a stretch in there where it was kind of a sore subject when my brother-in-law, who I do a lot of my hunting with on our property 
was, you know, he was, you know, making trips up there. He was up there during opening day and he's, you know, giving me the play by play all day long that he's sitting out there. And it was pretty hard to, to hear at that time, but I'm, I'm okay with it now. Well, good, good. I'm glad that you've, you know, come to Jesus on, on all that. (laughs) That's, that's a bit, I think as much as we enjoy success, as much as we enjoy putting down or like basically having the quote unquote uh best hunt where you're you're actually putting something down. Yeah. That that starts to mean something more, especially when you have seasons like you've had right now. The drama that is going to build off of, you know, a season where hey, I saw this 10-point frame that was busted off. I gave him the pass, and because of that, you didn't shoot another deer. That was your last full-draw opportunity. And to say, like, how does that story get richer next year? Oh, my goodness, he comes up on the cameras again. Like, he he made it, and now I'm going to see him again next season. So there's still potential out there, Marcus, for this to be, you know, one of these these epic stories. Like we're start we're start telling multi season stories here, chapters, if you will. I hope so. And you know the thing is like I've I've listened to enough podcasts or, or seen enough things on the internet about, you know, guys who have I mean like Mark Kenyon's a great example of having these two and three year long stories with the same deer. And and maybe it's just because I'm not, you know, I I mean I don't think there's a lot of people that are putting in the time that Mark is uh in terms of you know, really patterning these deer, a specific deer nonetheless. And I've always wondered, you know, like we'll look at, at trail camera pictures from year to year and we'll be like, oh, I think maybe this is the deer from last year, right? But it's like, ah, eh, who really knows? And it's just kind of, we don't really think about it much, even if it is, you know, you know, the the prior year, a really nice buck who, you know, you probably would have shot him that year if he gets through, like, gosh, he could really, really blow up next year. He could be four and a half, five and a half years old. And for Michigan, you know, uh, an age class deer like that, if he's made it that long, like he's probably, you know, he's probably a really nice deer. And yeah, I just, I, I, I haven't had one. We haven't had stories like that. We found, we found sheds and then the following year, seen them on camera, never, you know, on the hoof, but seen them on camera and been like, wow, like that, you know, he made a jump. Like if it's, if it's a very specific, you know, antler configuration, like if their frame is very recognizable, but no, it would be nice to, to kind of have that a second, you know, chapter two to this story, because yeah, I mean, he wasn't a huge deer either, but he had a, you know, he had some good genes with him. Um, I think he just ran across someone a little bit tougher that day. That's why he got broken off. I tell you what, yeah, to have a 10-point frame where you have five on one side and then the other one to just be snapped off, like what a battle that must have yeah. been. I, I mean, you've picked up a buck before and you've felt the antlers. Like they're not budging. They're not going anywhere. The no. force that you need to twist that solid bone is and of course it doesn't break you know at the pedicle where you would think no. it would want to break no it breaks right in the middle like what yeah. what a crazy scenario i bet that is yeah it really makes you question the structural integrity of some of those antlers when they <laughs> when they're doing things like that but yeah he was busted off he had he had his brow tine he had his g2 and he had nothing nothing in front of it yeah I'll, when we get done here i'll just i'll have to text you that picture because that's yeah, with me in the background it's pretty wild it's uh it's something cool to look back on like if it, like you've seen like pictures or i've seen like you know paintings or whatever you want to call them like in bass pro or some of these outdoor shops where it's it's more of like you know the 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 buck is in the foreground and the 
the deers and or the the hunters in the background like usually in blaze orange so you got a really good idea but i mean this is you know middle of october so i my brother-in-law when he went through the cameras he's like i didn't even see it the first time i looked through it i was going back through the pictures and i happened to catch i happened to catch you up in uh up in the corner there so that's awesome a cameo there on the on the camera that's so neat that's (laughs) so neat Cameos I get are usually my brother uh, with my niece and nephew uh, always making faces and acting like deer in front of mine. So that those are the cameos I usually get, which are which are always fun to get. Speaking of cameos, I, I got a really funny story. So two years ago, maybe yeah. So not last season, maybe the season, maybe it was three years ago. Uh, yeah, three years ago, it was uh, November seventh, which is like my all time favorite day. Like I've just had in you know the last five years, it's been a day that ton of great activity um i've killed two bucks on that day and so three years ago i think i'm pretty sure it was three years ago two or three anyway uh we had a really warm day it was november 7th i was uh we had popped up this ground blind right kind of just off uh, it was right on the edge of this like kind of not even a destination plot almost like a, a transition plot if you will and we had popped this this little ground blind up maybe a week prior, um, just because we didn't have anything to hunt that, that area with a certain wind. We got that wind. It was probably like a South wind with that warm weather. And I mean, I remember sitting in this tent I had on, I mean, I didn't even have any insulation on. Like I had, I think a, like a long sleeve zip up on just for concealment purposes. Right. And, you know, I'm sitting there and, you know, nine o'clock in the morning or something, all of a sudden this doe just comes barreling into the field out of nowhere this really nice eight point comes in right behind her. I mean, the whole thing lasted probably like 10 seconds because the doe immediately ran back out. He immediately chased her. Like I didn't have time to like grab my bow and really like know what the heck was going on or really kind of compute in my head like, oh my gosh, like that just happened. And probably 45 minutes later, and I'm sitting, this tent is probably like, 10 yards there's a trail that there's kind of this pinch point behind me and that pinch point there's like this trail that leads right up into this field this uh you know this little plot that i'm sitting on and i'm sitting there and you know how it is like if you're sitting in a tent like you can hear but you can't really pinpoint it sometimes just because everything's echoing inside of one of those tents and i hear something because it's pretty quiet and so i just like i just instinctually just put my bow in my hand and that same eight point comes right up that trail, 10 yards right next to me. And like, I wasn't, you know, in hindsight, like I should have been at full draw. Worst case, I could have let down if it was a deer I didn't want to shoot. So I should have been ready and shot him at, you know, 10 yards broadside, but I didn't. So he gets, he walks out. I realize it's the same deer I just saw inside of an hour ago. So I'm like, okay, you know, I get clipped in and now I'm waiting for him to kind of get out away from me a little bit. So he's passed my line of, or so I'm past his line of sight so I can get a good draw. So I get a good draw. And instead of like continuing at his angle, like he starts to quarter away from me and I'm like, shoot. So then now I'm starting to panic because I'm like, pretty soon he's going to be like ass facing me and I'm not going to have any type of shot. And you never know how things are going to play out. But of course, in that moment you're like, I'm not going to get another opportunity. So I take, I ended up taking a shot, hard quartering away thought I made a good shot. Like you heard the arrow impact. You heard the deer just let out this noise. Like it sounded like I just took all the wind out of his lungs. So I'm like, Oh, I mean, I was probably too cocky. 
at the time, right? Quite confident there that you're like, oh, yeah, he's done. Yeah, yeah, very confident. You know, he charged and went off of our property, like shot right through this little food plot into the neighbor's, like, field that kind of is separated by just, like, a little row of pine trees. Jumped right in there. Saw him make, like, a hard left back onto our property. You know, inside of, like, two minutes, I'm texting my brother-in-law, who's on the other side of the property. I'm like, just put an arrow in the same deer I saw this morning. I think we even had a name for him. I don't remember what it was, but we had a name for him. I mean, that's like a lot of people, right? Name deer. And we do it just more for like keeping track, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of taking inventory. And, you know, he's like, I'm like, you know, I saw him run onto the neighbors. I think he came back onto our property. He's like, sit tight. I'm going to text the neighbor, say, hey, we shot one. He may have come onto your property. Are you cool if we, you know, just track it through there if need be? Yep, no problem. So I sat tight for probably another 25 minutes. Like, you know how it is. Every minute feels like an hour when you're sitting there in, in that scenario. You literally look at your phone and 25 times in that 25 yeah, minutes. Yeah, exactly. And there's a camera pointed very close to where that deer was, was standing when I took a shot. So, of course, like being like the arrogant dude that I was at the time, like I like walk out and I'm walking in front of the camera and I'm like posing for the camera, like bow in my hand, like kind of like a triumphant pose, right? <laughs> and... So that's, that's cameo one. I go over, I find my arrow. I find like the back six inches of my arrow and there's, you could tell like there's blood on it. It's not great blood, but I'm like, it's a broken arrow. Like it probably hit that front shoulder on a quartering away. Like this is probably a dead deer. Like found blood immediately. My brother-in-law climbs down from where he's at. He comes out, he comes over to where I am. We start investigating. We start tracking this thing. Good blood, not great. Tracking for probably... I don't know, two or 300 yards. And we must have jumped it because we saw where it had laid down. Blood had pooled up right where he was laid, laid down and nothing. Like you could tell he got up, but not a speck of blood. I mean, we did the whole grid search around it. You know, we searched for probably a good hour and a half, just very tight to where we know he bedded where there was a pool of blood. And I mean, it wasn't a huge pool, but it was enough to where like, okay, he's hit. We're like, you know what? And it was warm, so we're like, you know what? Maybe maybe we're best to just back out. We'll call a dog, get someone in here in case it was a you know a worse shot than than what we anticipated. And you, so I ended up going back. And when I walk back to like finish my hunt for the morning, the defeated look on me walking back past the camera, <laughs> like talk about a complete 180. It was ridiculous. And, you know, a lot of guys, um, to minimize their impact, will, you know, they've got like the e-bikes or stuff like that, or guys will just use like fat tire bikes or mountain bikes, whatever. That particular day, I was hunting at the very back of the property, and I have to walk through uh, a lot of areas where, you know, there's going to be potentially a lot of, you know, deer activity. So I'm like, all right, I brought my mountain bike with me, rode the bike all the way out there. And it's, I mean, it's like a, it's a mountain bike, but it's not, you know, it's not one of these super high end mountain bikes. I hey man, there tire. ain't oh man, I was gonna say there ain't nothing wrong with a Schwinn. <laughs> Didn't know I blew a tire until I got back on it to go back to the truck after the morning hunt, after everything has transpired. So there's also there's the one right in the field of me just looking completely dejected, completely crushed that I'm not that we haven't found this deer yet. And then 
later on in the property, there's a picture of me just pushing my bike with my bow in one hand and like ghost riding my bike with the other hand because my back tire is flat. Like it was the ultimate, like humbling. It was so humbling how I was so sure that I had killed this deer. We didn't find the deer. I blew a tire. Like everything is kind of caught on camera at different stages. So it's like, we, we had a really, a really good laugh about that after the fact long, you know, to kind of wrap the story up. We didn't end up finding the deer. The dog came in. Um, I think I just made, you know, a worse shot than I thought. And yeah, never recovered him. Um, you know, the guy who was who came out tracking that night was like, you know, if 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 that deer was dead, you know, the dog would have found it. And, you know, he searched all through where we thought he might be. And yeah, never never uh came up with anything. So that was yeah, that that's that was a long way of saying I, I've made some good cameos on trail cameras before. <laughs> Michigan legend, average conservationist, <laughs> average hunter, ladies and gentlemen, Marcus Ewing. Thank you. Key Thank you for that. Av- Keyword <laughs> average. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, and that's the thing is, I'm not afraid to tell that story because I, I know that you know anyone who's who's hunted for any amount of time, right? They've had they've had moments like that. They've made bad shots. They've missed. You know, whatever the case is. So. I mean that's I mean that's hunting that's the way it goes I'm if 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 people want to comment and say like oh like what the hell are you doing it's like hey I thought I made a good shot I didn't buck fever got me because I clearly just jerked you know just jerked the shot and yeah yep here we are absolutely no and you hit the nail right on the head saying that everybody has incidences incidences like that where yeah if if you haven't had one you either a don't take any any real risks or b you haven't hunted for very long and yep. those opportunities are going to come in and you're going to you're going to yeah like just like you said i put a shot on like on deer like this before it's been done deal and everything red done deal on this and to find out now you pass by a camera with three different looks at it one with triumph one dejected <laughs> and one pushing a bike like you're going to have days like those my all within like an hour and a half time span too like it was oh goodness yep luckily i don't have too many cameras that i can walk in front of but i (laughs) i enjoy my wool clothing a lot especially way late season but we have so many brambles and thickets that are that are in our woods it's it's actually very nice but i i have been hung up for 15 minutes in brambles and i'm a i'm a short guy so here i feel like i am closed in a canopy i can't move because a i'm gonna lose my bow (laughs) and i have 50 of these uh blackberry bushes just grabbing onto my wool and i can't like it's literally the wool's so tough and it won't let me go and i'm just like how do i how do I say that I have a podcast, but yet here I'm going to sit for 15 minutes? I almost have Try to, un- to get yourself unstuck. Yeah, I have to undress just to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just one of those things. Like I think everybody comes to those like they lose their headlamp, they lose the path, they get stuck, they have a bad hit. Like that's why they call it hunting. It's not grocery shopping. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, going back to the point you made, like key word there is average, right? Like there is nothing special <laughs> about my abilities to to kill or to hunt deer like I am uh, I am just because I have a podcast or you have a podcast like does not by any stretch of the imagination make us you know world-class hunters but it's fun to it's fun to pretend sometimes yes (laughs) well hey looking forward to make ourselves above average 
We're also in a great opportunity to jump into some amazing outdoor uh, recreation. Recreation, whether that's uh, hiking or biking or snowmobiling, eventually. I know up north you can do that. But then even on the sportsman side, whether it be hunting and fishing, there's a lot of things that we can do here during the winter. I know some people, like, you just came off of deer season, and it was a slog. You might have only had a few days in the stand that you didn't see many deer. It could have been your amazing year this year where you put down a ton of deer or your best deer. But we're all a little bit tired after that, and we get off the the holiday, but now we're getting that itch again. You know, you were just saying this week you didn't get a chance to get outside, and you're feeling that a little bit. Yeah. What What are you looking forward to? late July, or excuse me, late January, February. What are some activities that you're looking forward to, to getting out and doing? Yes, that's a great question, Nick. So one, I grew up ice fishing a ton. I mean, I grew up in a pretty rural community and we had two lakes that kind of were almost like in the middle of our town. And, you know, we would ice fish constantly, whether it was for perch or for walleye, bluegill, uh, I mean, you know how it is up north. I mean, it seems like, you know, you throw a rock in any direction and you're going to hit some type of lake that probably has fish in it. So I was really fortunate to spend a lot of time doing that growing up. And I, I took for granted, you know, the fact that, you know, my old man had, you know, he had all the setups, you know, he knew where to go on the lakes. Like, I mean, he grew up in the same town that I grew up in. So he's been there for, you know, 40 years. So he knows the lay of the land. And that's been one of the things that's been hard for me to get back into is just, you know, he had a snowmobile or a four-wheeler. Like, the accessibility was just, it was so easy at the time. And it's, you know, I don't have those things now. Like, I have my truck, and it can get me to a boat launch, and I'm going to have to hoof it out onto the lake somewhere if I even know where I'm going. So, I, I'm we uh, my in-laws have uh, a lake house um, up, up by Travers, up in that area. Um, and there's a lot of great pan fishing on there. So, I'm looking forward to getting to know that lake a lot better. We've We've kind of taken our shots at it during the summer kind of haphazardly you know just trying to catch whatever we can or you know where we think fish might be and it's been kind of trial and error type thing we've had some success but not a ton um but over the holidays uh we were up there and i was talking to the neighbor and he was you know kind of pointing me in the right direction on the lake especially come you know come uh, come winter and you know he said you know this end of the lake you know this time of year like you just get a ton of panfish i mean i remember seeing it last winter you know just the shanty town uh, of ice shanties down at the far end of the lake and i think that's that's one of the things i'm really looking forward to from like a a fishing game standpoint um you know for for other recreational activities uh, i'm a big skier i grew up downhill skiing uh it's something that i've we try to, you know, get out West and, you know, my wife and I, and, and some friends at least once a winter. Um, so that's something that I always look forward to. It's kind of nostalgic for me, like growing up, you know, I, I've been doing that as long as I've been hunting, if not longer. So that's one of the things that I really enjoy doing. And again, you know, now that the kids are getting a little bit older, you know, we're trying to get them involved into it, which is a whole other ball of wax. Like you want to talk about testing your patience, like take a six-year-old skiing who's never (laughs) skied before. Like, Oh my goodness. So, but you made a good point there with the endless opportunities that Michigan has, especially, you know, once winter time, you know, once winter comes, you know, if you're running trap lines, you know, if you want a small game hunt, depending on the season, um, and then ice fishing, I mean, it's the, the barrier to entry, 
I, I think for ice fishing is not as high as, as even I think I tell myself it is sometimes, right? I think if, you know, if you can go out and, and you get yourself kind of a, a do it all, you know, ice fishing rod, you know, you just, it's like anything else. You just need to ask, ask the right people or explore trial and error and, and just go out and have fun with it. Like that's, I mean, that's how so many of us learn whatever it is, whether it's, you know, deer hunting or, you know, bird hunting or, you know, foraging, like you just, you you learn by your mistakes that you make. And as I've gotten older, that's something that I've certainly appreciated a lot more is figuring these things out for myself. Because as I mentioned, like, you know, growing up when you have someone who's saying, sit here, jig this, tie this teardrop on, whatever it is, like you have someone who's telling you what to do. So that success comes really easy and you don't have to think about it. Um, but when you, you kind of, you get to that, that transitional point in your life where you got to start doing this stuff on your own, that's when I think you, you take a lot more pride in what you're doing and the successes, no matter how small, like feel a lot bigger in the end, because, you know, you're like, I, you know, darn it. I did that on my own. Like I figured it out. Like there is hope kind of for me here yet. Good. I'm glad that even as an avid, uh, ice fishing, ice fishing guru that you are, that, there's still there's the learning curve that you got to do. I'm yeah, I I did. I got a couple couple jigging uh, poles. Uh, we got tip ups. My I love my pick my tip ups. They I bought the pink ones because I knew nobody's gonna steal them because nobody wants to have pink ones in their bucket. Yeah, everyone wants orange. Yeah. yeah, so I took the pink ones and I I used the deer pop up line. We went out for that um, propane heater and I can take the boys out and I can put holes in the ice. And here we are jigging. We have no idea where the bottom is. We have no idea if there's fish below us or w- how deep our, our jig is yet. We've, we have a friend who has the Vexlar. It's a video game that I don't understand. I still need to spend some time with that. <laughs> but we just have a great time out there. Yeah, they're, they're just bobbing the ice. My, uh, yeah, my middle boy, he will make sure that every hole is clean. There, we, will, we will lose the, the dipper. Without a doubt, I have one always spare in the truck. But we every hole will be absolutely pristine. There will not be a speck of snow or a speck of ice in anybody's hole because that's his thing. He keeps everything clean and open. And the snackle box, I just I love that term oh, where yeah. you just bring it's a good term. You bring the meat and cheese. You have a big uh, craft of beer with you, and that's one way that I have found information is walking up with jerky in hand, snack stick first, talking with a guy, he's more willing to tell you about, hey, there's a there's a drop off right there. You know, if you can if you move over twenty feet, things are gonna go a lot better for you today. And it's all leading forward with what I what I am bringing to the table. And that is something exactly. edible. You know, you make a really good point there. And I think I don't know if it's just like the ice fishing culture. Um but yeah, people are a lot more receptive to being approached, you know, when you're out ice fishing, even if, you know, you're not coming over to maybe glean a piece of advice or, or something like that. Like if you just walk over to, you know, chew the fat with them, so to speak, like just, Hey man, how's your day going? Beautiful day out. See, so you got the kids out, mine are in the shanty, you know, just that small talk, right. Amongst people. Maybe it's just be like because you're not on a boat, you're a lot more approachable. You know, when you're on foot, when you can actually stand, you know, a couple feet away from someone and talk. But yeah, when people are out ice fishing, they're a lot more willing to divulge some of that information. That you know, if you motor up to someone who's you know running, 
um, you know, running planer boards or, you know, their vertical jigging or they're just casting with their kid or something like that. Like, you know, if someone pulls up to a boat next to me, I'm be like, yeah, what the heck are you doing here? Right. Like I'm, we're trying to fish here, you know, you're right. muddying up the waters here. Or you're getting my kid all tangled up in your prop or whatever it is. But yeah, with ice fishing people, I think they're in it more for the, I don't know if camaraderie is the right word, but they're just in it more to, to have a good time. And it's one of those things that it is a lot easier to take your kids out ice fishing, right? Like if they get bored, like let them run around on the ice. Like they're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? And that's, I I think a lot of that kind of ties into, you know, that culture where it's just, you know, people are a lot more, you know, willing to kind of participate with, with other anglers on the ice. And it's, you know, it's a lot easier to drink a beer when you don't have to drive the boat either, right? Like you just said, like having that crafted beer, <laughs> like it's going to keep you warm. And I mean, it's, yeah, ice fishing is, it, sometimes it feels like it's almost like this, this lost sport, lost tradition amongst people, but it's a, uh, it's a great way to spend, you know, spend a Saturday or a Sunday, that's for sure. And the hooting and hollering that happens, somebody pulls a big pike out, they let out a war hoop. And I tell you, all the kids will run from the whole lake. They're going to run to that hole, and I tell you, that guy's going to beam. He's going to hold that fish, and all those kids are going to look at oh, it. Oh, yeah. Mine the went pride? Yes. Mine went probably 75 yards to go check out a hole that a guy was hooting and hollering. He had one in. And that dude, I mean, he captured their attention. He was showing that fish off. The fish stories, I could hear them from way over there, and it was just so fun to see how excited he got being able to get that fish and just have – people to tell about it you know the people yeah. saw him pull up it was just uh witness almost yeah like and and that's another thing too is you know if you're out on a boat and you you pull in a big walleye or a big pike it's like it's almost like hush hush right like you don't want people to know you don't want people to start you know tailpiping you following your your line if you're trolling or something like that uh you know if it's ice fishing it's like gather around kids i've got a story <laughs> for you kind of thing you know and 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 that you know that just it kind of all ties in together like that's that's one of the the beautiful things about ice fishing is is everyone wants to be a part of it yes yes they do well marcus i'm going to use my technology here we're going to try something out we've kind of right. we've come we've come to the crescendo of our show and we're gonna we're starting a new little series here where when I'm inter- when I'm uh, interviewing someone from the Sportsman's Empire, the dish breakout breakdown that they're gonna give us is going to be for the Emperor's table. So, Marcus, we are into your dish breakdown. Okay, this is it. Steaks cooked medium rare. Can I get my steak cooked? That want no question. You hungry? Hey, Ma! Can we get some meatloaf? We're the end of the and you heard about this. Come on, get it! Yay! All right, it's not going to be flashy. You know, it's, I'm going to kind of use a really poor pun or, or, or lead in here, but I'm going to set the table by telling you this, is that I love wild game. Um, I don't, you know, we talked about this when, when you came on my podcast, like I don't, I'm not super creative with the way I cook, especially with wild game. Like I'm very, very traditional. I'm very basic. Like that's just, and I think that probably like, I, I certainly love to try people who, who have that ability to, to come up with like a really creative dish and, you know, really highlight um, like whether it's venison or duck or something like, that, like really highlight, um, you know, the flavors that are in that wild game. I just don't have that culinary ability. Like give me some salt, some pepper, some garlic, a grill of any sort. I'll make it work. Right. Like I can, I can give you a good dish. 
But one, and I actually just had it this weekend, and this is why this is top of mind, is is fried walleye. And it's it's so basic, man. I, I totally get that. Like, but the the way I've been shown to cook it or taught to cook it, like it it just it comes out perfect every time. And I'm gonna let the listeners in on a little secret here. And maybe it's not even a secret because maybe a lot of people do it this way. You take an entire box of like Drake's, you know, like seasoning or whatever it is, you know, you take preferably some type of citrusy type beer. Like if you're doing it in the summer, take like a summer shandy, you know, like a summer ale, something like that, whole beer, mix it in. So it's got a really good consistency, like thinner than, you know, a little bit thinner than maybe like the consistency of like pancake batter, something like that. Get a cast iron skillet. If you've got, you know, the bigger, the better bunch of vegetable oil or whatever type of oil you want to use, get that thing, not ripping, but 350 to 375, somewhere in that range, you know, drop a little bit of batter in there, give it a little test run, make sure it's not going to burn right up. And then four or five pieces, you know, you, you take a, you know, 18 inch, you know, uh, fillet from like an 18 inch walleye, cut it into, you know, two to three inch pieces. If that four or five, maybe six in the pan, you don't want that that oil to cool off too much when you start dropping everything in you want to try to keep that temperature consistent and then let it run for you know four or five minutes aside you know just gently flip it over give another four or five minutes pull it out it's like i don't even have to like set the table like i'll just eat it right out of the plate that it goes on to when it comes out of the pan and i know it's a good meal for the simple fact that my kids will eat it my nephews ate it this weekend and you know they're you know, ranging from anywhere from three to six years old. And they were just hammer timing this fish. So that's how I know that it's probably a good meal. It's going to be a fan favorite. I don't need anything with it. No tartar sauce, no nothing. Like you just eat it the way it is. The hotter, almost the hotter, the better. Like you want to, you know, the longer it's going to sit that, you know, the crust on it, the the batter, it's going to kind of, it's going to get a bit soggy. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, that's what happens. So you got to get it when it's, when it's pretty warm, you got to get that nice crunch, the texture is a big part of that because you're getting that that nice bite on the outside, the soft fish on the inside, and it's it's a meal that, ah, like when people tell me like, oh, like we use like you know we'll like crush up Ritz crackers or something. I'm like, I don't want to hear it. No, nope. like, you're a wet batter great, guy. Go with the Drakes. Yeah, yeah, go with the Drakes. I'm a wet batter guy. That's and I've had walleye, and it's got to be walleye specifically. I don't know why it is for me that. The, the flavor of that fish just really shines kind of in that setting. That's what I'm bringing to, that's what I'm bringing to the pot. Like that's what I'm coming with. It's going to be gone. I know that like it's, it, it's going to get eaten up because it's, it's easy. I mean, you can put away four or five pieces and not even bat an eye, right? Like it's oh, two easy. bites. It's easy. gone. Yeah. Easy. Um, so yeah, that's what it is. Now to take that one step further, if I wasn't just bringing, like if, if that was going to be the main course right like if, if walleye you know a fish fry like something like that was going to be my main course i may throw a wrinkle in this and it feels almost sacrilegious to say this i want to make them into tacos but you know you've got to have the good slaw like you got to have you know a nice like crema on it of some sort like something homemade that you concoct up yourself that you don't even know what the heck's in it you just got add stuff <laughs> give it the finger taste nope needs more of this whatever this is get that going You'll never be able to duplicate it. Like it's a one-time, it's a one-time thing. But again, it almost feels, it almost doesn't feel right to 
to doctor up that fish and take away from just, you know, the taste of the fish. But I still want to give it a whirl one of these days. I've got some in the freezer right now uh, from this from this past summer that, you know, it's almost like like a back strap or a tenderloin. Like I'm just holding on to it. I'm waiting for that perfect moment yes. to, uh, to fry it up. When you're when you're cutting them into your your two inch pieces, your uh, yeah, you know, couple bite, two three bite pieces. I've heard this from guys that are using you know real thick sides of a walleye. That if you just cut it um, and you're using the full fillet, you can really get it. It gets mushy very quickly, or you may not be able to get a chance to get to the inside of that. I've heard guys go at a bias, like they'll when they cut it, they cut it at a forty five degrees when they get towards really? the thinner or to the thicker part of the fish because what that's going to do is it's increasing the surface area so you're getting more of the batter on there you're going to get a quicker fry and you have less of those deep pockets that are going to end up leaching out that moisture or they're going to be not done to what you're going to so when they've got their fillet they're actually coming at it at a 45 they're still getting their two inch piece but now they've got those thinner ends that'll really crispen up so you got that real hard crunch before you get to the flaky in the middle yeah and that's a really good point um because yeah if what you just said like if you let any of that moisture in if you don't have good coverage from your batter i mean as soon as i like take them out of the batter put them into the into the pan the next batch goes right into that batter like they're they're marinating. They're soaking in there, right? Like yeah. when I pull those things out with a fork or you know a pair of tongs or whatever I'm using, like I don't let a whole lot drip off. Like I would rather it be thick. And yeah, with if you if you know, to, I don't think you could do that with like a full fillet or even if you halved the fillet, right? I think that's just it's too big. It's going to take too long to cook. You're the consistent. You're not going to get that consistency from bite to bite that you see it. You know, in in the smaller pieces and that. Yeah, cutting it at that forty-five. I mean, that makes that makes complete sense based on you know kind of my experience doing it. I'd like to say I have a lot of experience, but all my fillets are the bluegills or the crappies that they. There's no need for cutting cutting at forty-five. The whole thing just yeah. goes on in. So I still yeah, have yet exactly. to play with with these these big old walleye. I see them, but I never get a chance to play with them. Yeah, and you know I've I've been. As I mentioned, like early on, like I've been super stingy with what wild game I have left in the freezer. And the neighborhood that I live in, um, a bunch, like there's one other guy who hunts in my neighborhood. Um, so him and I have become pretty tight. I mean, this guy had, he went out to Wyoming this year, had an absolute dream season. He killed an antelope, a monster muley and a turkey. Like he went on this, you know, guided hunt or whatever, but he punched all three tags that he had. And I mean, the mule deer he had was just an absolute stud, but that being said, so him and I'll talk about, you know, eating wild game and stuff like that all the time. And a lot of our neighbors who, you know, we're friends with have never hunted, you know, maybe they've tried venison in passing over the years, right? So they've never probably had it prepared very well. What I want to do, I want to kind of get the neighborhood together and get with my, you know, the other neighbor that hunts and do like this big wild game meal. Like I want to cook up walleye, cook up venison. I've got some elk that uh, a relative gave to me. He went on uh, an elk hunt last year. So he's, he didn't give me a ton, but enough to where, you know, you can do it upright and, and get people to, uh, to try it. And that's, that's kind of what my goal is. I don't know if I want to do it this winter or wait till the spring where we can kind of be outside and, and enjoy the outdoors and, you know, stand by the grill and have, you know, multiple beers in the process. Oh, that sounds, that's a great way to bring a neighborhood together, especially if you're going to host like that. Oh, yeah. man. 
we're going to have to touch back and we're going to have to figure out how uh, the average conservationist did his, uh, his neighborhood cookout. But your submission to, I would say, the Sportsman's Empire potluck, I think that's a great one to start off with. That might be, it may not get to the main table. This is As people are arriving, as people are getting warmed up, you want to have that filet nice and hot right now. I think you're going to be at the, you're right there at the gate. Hey. Take a couple pieces, boys. You're going to want these. Put that thing on a silver platter. Let someone carry it around nice, prim, and proper. Like, and just, do I need a napkin? No, nope, <laughs> you don't need a napkin. Like, you're just going to, you ain't going to have it long enough to need a napkin. And that's, you know, that's the thing, too. Like, this past weekend when I was cooking it up, I was, uh, you know, it was me and my kids and uh, my mom and my sister and her kids. And, you know, I was out in the garage and we did it a little bit different. Normally, I'll, you know, do it on, you know, like a, um, you know, just do it on the stovetop or anything like that. But um, she has one of those big black stones. So she just got that thing ripping, put the cast iron right on top of that. And it actually worked really well. But, you know, we four or five, you know, pieces would come out of the out of the frying pan into the house. You know, I'm standing in the garage like I've got to eat now because by the time I'm done cooking this, there's going to be none left. So I'm like, I have every batch that come out of the frying pan, like well, I'll take one here, next one, take another one. So by the time I'm done cooking, you know, it's been, you know, 40 minutes of, of, of cooking and, you know, I'm stuffed. Like I don't even want to sit down and eat because I've <laughs> been a glutton standing over the frying pan for the last half hour. Oh, such the way of the fish fry. Yep. Half of it doesn't even get to the rest of the people because the cook gets his first dibs. Yeah, exactly. Have you talked about at all what you would bring or are you saving that for like to, to tie everything together? Because I know you're going to come with something something really good uh just like my euchre hand i'm holding this real tight and i won't reveal until <laughs> there now i won't i'm probably going to be second to last the the emperor himself dan the nine fingers johnson i think is going to get the he's going to get the final episode of the series and we'll we'll mash them together somehow but anyway That's yeah i'm fair. holding my cards That's pretty fair. close <laughs> and and i i appreciate that because knowing you know what little bit we know each other nick like i know that 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 wheel is constantly turning like you'll come up with it like you'll probably be laying in bed at night be like oh god like oh this is a great this would be a great meal a week later you're like that's trash i would never make that (laughs) this is what i'm making right like i can only imagine how many times like you're going through that before you finally like land on something my dogs eat well marcus my dogs eat well (laughs) (laughs) we have a lot of a lot of miscues (laughs) no that's all right that's how you learn that's how you perfect things well, Marcus, we're running super short on time here. Um, where can my folks from from Hunt of Orc, can can they jump over to your two podcasts, and where can we follow along with you on social media? Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Average Conservationist is just that. It's the Average Conservationist on Instagram. Uh, Facebook page is the same thing. Um, obviously, you can find um, you know that podcast on Sportsman's Empire along with um, with the Hunt of Orc. Michigan Wild podcast also on the Sportsman's Empire, uh, just Michigan Wild Pod uh, on Instagram. That's all I have for it. Um, I'm yeah, begrudgingly, I, I'm just not great with social media. I just never find time for it, or I come up with a good idea and I've I've kind of it's you know nine o'clock at night. And I'm going to put something out and eight people are going to see it, right? But yeah, that's where um, that's where you can can follow along. Uh, the Michigan one has been has been great being able to talk to people, you know, like yourself, Nick, uh, here in Michigan, because Michigan is such a overlooked, underutilized place when it comes to the outdoors. And, you know, being able to talk to people who 
experience it in so many different ways, whether it's bird hunting in the UP, you know, it's fishing on the big water here in Michigan, whether it's, you know, hunting the big woods, whatever it is. I mean, there's so many, you know, great outdoorsmen and outdoors women in Michigan here that, uh, I feel like even, you know, doing, if I did it for 10 years, I wouldn't be doing the state justice. Well, thank you so much, Marcus, for jumping on. I'm going to let these folks on out. Folks, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. We're, we're talking about some of those underutilized things here in January and February um, as we get excited for maybe getting onto the ice, something a little less intense uh, than what deer season was. But even if you're on that ice, if you're cutting a hole into it or if you're trying to get into your snackle box, make sure the knife that you're using is always sharp. 